When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. Click, click. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot. I walk away. I'm still a chunk. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. It's the best deal. You got to go get that right now with me today. As always, is my good friend Alex Spears. And Alex, tell us what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started Friday night in San Antonio, where the Spurs beat the Jazz 104-102 to and in the process helped coach Greg Popovich secure his 1,336th career victory, most in NBA history. Pop passed Don Nelson, who once upon a time hired Pop as an assistant coach in Golden State back in 1992. As for the Spurs... I guess they're tanking. It's unclear. (laughs) On the one hand, they're only a game and a half back of the Pelicans. They have two games left against the Pelicans, along with three games against Portland and another against Houston. They could easily stumble their way into the play-in. On the other hand, they rested DeJounte, Keldon Johnson, and Pirtle in a game against the Pacers for rest. So I still don't exactly know what's going on. On Saturday, let's check in on the Raptors, who we haven't talked about in a while. The Raps got a 127-115 victory over the Nuggets in Denver. Pascal Siakam scored 33 points in the game, which continues an impressive run for Spicy P. In his last eight games, Pascal is averaging 28, 8, and 4.5 and assists while shooting 48% Ooh. from three. The Raptors, meanwhile, are currently tied in the standings with Cleveland as of Friday afternoon. The Raps have won five in a row and are gunning for the comfort and safety found in the sixth seed, which is relevant not just for the Raps, but also the Nets, who would be able to play Kyrie in a play-in game against the Cavs. On Sunday, it was the start of a wildly entertaining week of scoring and a continuation of what has been a scorching hot month across the league. Tim Reynolds pointed out on Twitter that by the end of the week, we were up to eight 50-point games in March, the most in a month since 1962. And on Sunday night, it was KD who started us off, scoring 53 in a 110-107 win over the Knicks. On Monday night, it was Carl Anthony Towns who dropped 60 in a 149-139 win over San Antonio. Now, there's still more scoring to come, but in the middle of all this scoring, we had one of the most anticipated matchups of the season, an MVP battle between juggernauts Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic in Philly. The Nuggets won the game 114-110, but both MVP candidates played well, ensuring that the increasingly toxic MVP conversation will continue on for at least a few more weeks. 
a few more weeks for NBA smart guys to complain on their incredibly popular NBA podcast that no one is talking about Jokic. A few more weeks for StatMuse to stimulate high-quality basketball conversation (laughs) by copy and pasting a list of advanced stats in random order. And a few more weeks for NBA fans like myself to come to terms with the fact that the likable, lovable Joel Embiid now plays with James Harden. On Tuesday, it was Kyrie's turn to join the High Scorers Club. A week after putting up the most efficient 50-point game in NBA history, Kyrie scored 60 in a game against the Magic, who, as you will soon learn, had a couple of big games against them this week. The Nets have 12 games left in the regular season, fighting for play and seeding, but will only have Kyrie available for three of those games. And to add insult to injury, we learned on Wednesday that Ben Simmons has a back injury that has required an epidural and will keep him out of the lineup for the near future. The Nets are hoping him or hoping to have him play, quote, a couple of games before the play-in, essentially guaranteeing that Ky- Kyrie, KD, and Simmons will not share the court as the Nets' final four games are all games in which Kyrie cannot play. So we'll have to wait until at least the play-in. On Wednesday, the Boston Celtics continued their rampage across the league with a 110-88 win over Golden State San Francisco. The Celtics have moved into the fourth spot as of Friday afternoon, but the bigger news from this game was the injury to Steph Curry. And only Draymond Green's second game back, finally reuniting the trio of Steph, Clay, and Draymond, Marcus Smart dove for a loose ball and landed on Steph's foot, causing a foot sprain that is keeping Curry out indefinitely with only a month until the playoffs. Immediately after the play, Smart ran down the court defending a Warriors fast break and attempted to block Clay's shot with his foot or something. Warriors coach Steve Kerr called the play on Curry dangerous in the post-game presser and could be seen lecturing Marcus Smart during the game after the play. For the Warriors, it is potentially a huge blow to their chances of getting the two seed and possibly avoiding Denver, who just assigned Jamal Murray to their G League affiliate. And finally, on Thursday night, we had only one game, but it was a tank war. Detroit, Orlando, 36 combined wins. Both teams tied in the standings going in. Cade out, Jeremy Grant out, Wendell Carter Jr. out. Someone had to win. And the story of the game was Sadiq Bey, who forced people to pay attention to the NBA on the first day of the NCAA tournament by putting up 51 points in Orlando, including hitting 10 of 14 threes. It is only the eighth 50-point game in Pistons franchise history, which looking this up made me remember that Blake Griffin had a really good year in Detroit that I had kind of forgotten. He played 75 games, made the All-Star game, had a 50-point game. That was only three years ago, and I kind of (laughs) forgot about it. Anywho, what a week it was, Andrew. Oh, man, Al. Uh, Have you filled out a bracket? Did you fill out a bracket, Al? Uh, no, not at oh, all. Oh, okay. Do you, you have a you have a winner? You have a, a guy, a team you think will win the the tournament here? Uh, give me the Zags. Oh, give me the Zags. I got the Zags too. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, I wanted to do a little research on the NCAA tournament, and if we should pay attention to it when it comes to star potential for future draft guys. So, first of all, Al, before we get to the big dance, I just want to say, don't sleep on the NIT. Here's a few oh, of <laughs> here's a few of the guys that won the NIT MVP. I guarantee you, I will be sleeping on the NIT. Well, Lavar Stevens was the NIT MVP. Kenrich Williams was the NIT MVP. Oh, really? Yeah, Costa no, cool. Kufas was the NIT MVP. Uh, actually, you can sleep on it because that's the end of my list of NIT. Okay, so Kenny cool. Hustle, yeah, Kenny Hustle. Well, that was worth yeah, it. That's, that's the only thing that's worth it. Uh, but Al, 
How much does Chet Holmgren's performance matter? How much does it matter that guys like Keegan Murray and Ty Ty Washington lost in the first round? Does it mean they're toast as potential stars? They may not be future stars anyways, but let's take a look at the history of the current stars of today and how they did in the NCAA tournament. First, let's start with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, he was a freshman. He averaged 28.5 points per game, 8.5 rebounds, and 1 assist in the NCAA tournament. Only played two games. He lost to Nick Young, Taj Gibson, and Gabe Pruitt from the USC Trojans in round two. Mm. Trey Young. Do you remember how many many games Trey Young played in the NCAA tournament? Oh, man. I should know this as an OU grad. Uh... Two played one. He he in oh. that game he had twenty eight five and seven. They lost to the lost to Rhode Island in the first round of the tournament. Shout out to Fats Russell who had fifteen points off the bench for the Rhode Island Rams. That sounds cool. It's really cool. What? Where's he? Fats Russell. I don't know what Fats Russell's doing. Anybody knows what Fats Russell's up to? Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. Tamar uh, DeRozan. It's a freshman. Average 18 points, seven boards, two and a half assists. He had Todd Gibson and Vooch on his team at USC. He lost Man. He lost in the second <laughs> round to Travis Walton and the Michigan State Spartans. They did have Draymond Green coming off the bench for them, which was kind of fun. John ja Morant was a sophomore. He averaged 22 points per game, 10 assists, eight rebounds. How many rounds did he last, Al? Well, everything has been so negative. I'm going to say one. Two. He lost to Florida okay. State, a good Florida State team. They had Terrence Mann, Trent Forrest, and Fiondu Cabangele on their team. Mm. Cabangele went nuts in that game. Jason Tatum, freshman, averaged 16 and a half points, 7.5 rebounds, one assist. He lost in, guess what round? Two. Two. Yeah. To Sundarius Thornwell, P.J. Dozier, and the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, this one is interesting. Devin Booker, he's a freshman, came off the bench for this just juggernaut of a Kentucky team that didn't lose until they got to the Final Four. He only averaged 7.2 points, 2 rebounds, and .4 assists in the tournament. They lost in the Final Four to the Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, Wisconsin Badgers. So that's just a, it's an interesting one. And it makes you, everybody's like, well, why did he go so late? Well, he was coming off the bench for this loaded Kentucky team. Kind of hidden for them is why he went so late. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, sophomore, averaged 14 points, eight rebounds, five assists per game. Lost in what round, Al? One. Second round to Mo Wagner, DJ Wilson, Duncan Robinson, and the Michigan Wolverines. That's a pretty wild team there. It's a pretty wild team. Uh, Steph Curry is a junior. Didn't play in the NCAA tournament. He was in the NIT. He lost in round two of the NIT. But let's go back to his sophomore season. His sophomore season in the tournament, he lost in the Elite Eight. He averaged 32 points, three boards, and three assists. And he lost to this. It was a loaded Kansas team. They lost to Brandon Rush, Mario Chalmers, Daryl Arthur, Cole Aldrich, and Sasha Khan. Carl Anthony Towns averaged only 14 points per game, 6.8 rebounds, one assist in the tournament. That doesn't sound like a number one pick to me. <laughs> Does it sound like the number one pick to you? He did go number one. 
he had a game, Al, where he only scored one point and had two rebounds. He played 13 minutes in a game. Now, they just pummeled West Virginia. They beat them in the tournament 78-39. to 39. So you don't really care about that. They ended up losing to Frank Kaminsky, as we mentioned earlier, with Devin Booker, Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, and the Wisconsin Badgers. Paul George didn't play in the tournament. He was a sophomore. He did, however, play one game in the conference tournament, had 22 points, 11 boards, and one assist, and was beat by Magnum Roll and the La and, and La Tech. Remember Magnum Roll? I do remember that name. <laughs> oh, this one, this one it might be the most interesting of them all. Jalen Brown in the tournament in one game averaged four, he had four points, two rebounds, and seven turnovers as they lost in round one to Hawaii. And Hawaii this year had two guys named Stefan Janovic. I had to like, I had to like double, triple check that it wasn't just like the same guy written twice in the box score. But they had a big who started named Stefan Janovic, and they had a big off the bench named Stefan Janovic. I just thought that was weird. Were they brothers? No, that one was from Europe, one was from Canada. It was <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. They just happened to have the same name. The exact same name. I, I guess. I mean, it would make less sense if they were brothers. So why would you? Why would a, a mom name their kid the same name? <laughs> well, uh, maybe they're pronounced differently. <laughs> Stefan and Stefan. Stefan. We have like an Urkel situation going on. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, and last, uh, Shea Gildas Alexander averaged twenty six and six. Lost in the Sweet Sixteen in the tournament. Uh, they lost to Xavier Sneed in the K State Wildcats. Wow. So. All this to say, if you're if your guy who you think is going to be great in the draft loses in round one or round two, who cares? Like hardly any of these guys did anything in the tournament, and the guys that did something in the tournament had just mega teams around them. Right. And it took yeah. it took that that Towns team that just didn't lose, and everybody else like Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Ja Morant, Demar Derozan, Trey Young. Kevin Durant, like these guys didn't do well in the tournament. So if you're looking for a star, don't don't necessarily look for the at the final four or in the finals because none of these guys got that far. You brought up uh, Jalen Brown. I'll always remember when he was coming out and uh, Kevin Pelton, who just released his statistical projections for this year's draft class. I always remember in that draft class, he said that Jalen Brown was like below this cutoff. Yeah. where no one had ever been successful in the NBA below that cutoff. Yep. And it was like such a damning thing because he had he had done the statistical projections for so long that it like yep. it like stuck in my brain and then to see him be the exception there um I I just love like those types of stories where guys yeah. like sh- should not make it for whatever reason some some you know all in one stat just hates them. And mm-hmm. I mean people are doing it right now with Chet to like a lesser degree, like everyone agrees that he's good, but there's still people that are like, you know, they're so hung up on the weight that mm-hmm. they they cannot see past it at all. They cannot imagine a scenario where he might be the exception to that rule. Right. right. Um, and I just love that kind of stuff because yeah. like eventually he's, he's going to prove it or not. And then yeah. one of us will be right. And I'm feeling pretty confident uh, over here on, on, <laughs> on Chetland. <laughs> Chetland. I'm feeling good, too. I, he was awesome yesterday. He was. Chet was. I mean, he's no Sadiq Bay. <laughs> now, come no, on. He's no Sadiq Bay. He's no Stefan Yanovic. 
yeah, please uh, learn more about that. I'm, I'm <laughs> really dubious whether that's like, is that a typo? What's going on there? I looked, I trust me, I checked like four times to make sure that this was not the same dude. Mm. Okay. I guess I believe you. Uh, for my segment, Andrew, it's a, it's time for another installment of Dunk or Junk. Dunk or Junk. Dunk or Junk. The segment where I attempt to debunk a common argument against one of the likely playoff teams. I present my case. You decide whether the original argument is a slam dunk and should be taken seriously or whether it's junk and we should throw it out. Last week we looked at uh, Memphis's half-court offensive efficiency, which uh, isn't great in general, but we talked about why that might not, not matter. The purpose of this segment is to help us all as we attempt to sort through what is looking like one of the most wide open playoffs in recent memory. Wouldn't it be nice if there were some simple arguments we could make to easily dismiss some of these teams so we could whittle down the field a little bit more easily? Uh, but before we buy into these arguments at face value, let's do a little deep dive to decide whether they are a slam dunk or junk. And for this week's Dunk or Junk, we are focusing on the Chicago Bulls. The argument? The Bulls can't beat any good teams. Therefore, they're not a real contender because unfortunately for them, the playoffs tend to attract all the good teams. They're junk. They're they're junk. (laughs) You've probably heard this argument, haven't you? You've heard it. Oh yeah, uh, all the time. I feel like I I get a weekly reminder on some podcasts that they've never beat anybody good. And the reason is because it keeps happening. It, it, it's an argument that only has gotten louder over the past few weeks as the Bulls have gone 2-7 and seven with losses to Memphis, Miami, w- Milwaukee, Philly, and Utah. Now, looking at the entire season, let's just focus on the East. Against the current top three seeds, Miami, Milwaukee, and Philly, Chicago is 0-9. Throw in the top three seeds in the West, Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis, Chicago is 0-14. 0-14 against the top three seeds in the two conferences. If you add oh in the four seeds, which includes Boston, who moved ahead of Chicago in the standings after Chicago lost to Utah, another four seed, Chicago is 2-16. and 16. So, <laughs> uh, listen, this, this, I'm letting you know right now, this one's tough. <laughs> uh, okay, 0-14 against the top three seeds feels pretty damning. Yeah. Uh, but we don't shy away from a challenge here on Dunker Junk. So let's do a deep dive on this one. Let's start with the obvious, Injuries. Everyone agrees Chicago's best five players, Lonzo, Caruso, DeRozan, Levine, Vucevic. Yeah. In the 14 games against top competitions, so just looking at the top three seeds in both conferences, the Bulls were missing at least two of those guys in 10 of the 14 games. Okay. When they had all five, listen, they were still 0-3, but <laughs> they were all single-digit losses, one to Miami and two to Philly. The most common absences during these games have, of course, been Lonzo Ball, who is still recovering from a meniscus surgery, and Alex Caruso, who recently returned from a wrist fracture. It's hard to overstate the importance of those two on a team where the three big-minute stars aren't exactly known for their defense. If we go back to December 20th, this is right around where the injury started, the Bulls were the 7th-ranked offense and the 10th-ranked defense per cleaning the glass. Since then... Caruso and Ball have played a combined 11 games for the Bulls, and while the Bulls have maintained a top-eight offense, they've dropped to 23rd in defense. Wow. The loss of Caruso and Ball has been massive. In the early season, it was the perimeter defense of Caruso and Ball that gave the Bulls the identity that got everyone excited. Will Gottlieb had a great article this week on allchgo.com refreshing everyone's memory regarding the importance of Alex Caruso's defense. As he describes, it's rare to build a good NBA defense around guards, but it worked 
for Chicago because the point of attack defense was so good. Mm -hmm. The pressure and turnovers generated by Caruso and Ball took a ton of pressure off a roster that otherwise was not inherently strong defensively. Will pointed out that the lineup of Caruso, Ball, Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic has a plus 20.5 net rating, but has only been available for 11 of the Bulls games. So there's potential here for a top NBA lineup, but injuries have taken it away. And when you remove Ball and Caruso from this team, the Bulls start to resemble a team more in the Charlotte Hornets or Atlanta Hawks tier of the Eastern Conference, good offensive teams whose defensive limitations will always limit their upside. And all of this shows up in the on-off numbers too. Among Bulls who have played at least 500 minutes, Caruso has a team best plus 8.9, while Lonzo is fourth at plus 2.8. Or look at how the Bulls played when those two have been on the court together. Among all Chicago two-man lineups that played at least 400 minutes together, Caruso and Ball are a plus 9.3, surpassed only by Caruso and DeRozan, who are a plus 13. Wow. Yes, every team has injuries, especially this season with the winter of health and safety protocols. But again, it's hard to overstate how important Caruso and Ball are to Chicago's entire defensive identity. The drop in defensive efficiency from December 20th for the Bulls, which ended up being an increase of 8.7 points allowed per 100 possessions, is similar to the drop experienced by the Golden State Warriors after Draymond went out, which was plus 9.8 points allowed per 100 possessions. But with all that said, it's very hard to ignore 0-14 against the top three seeds in both conferences. Has yeah. a team ever had a record that bad against the best teams in the league and just won a playoff series? To answer that, Andrew, I went through the last decade of playoff teams focusing on the eight teams each season who won at least one playoff series. Uh-huh. 80 teams in total. I figured out their head-to-head records against the top three seeds in each conference. This took entirely too long, and I immediately <laughs> regretted doing it. The worst record against top teams that I could find was the 2015-2016 Atlanta Hawks, who went 3-14 and against the top three seeds in each conference that season, but still managed to beat the Celtics in the first round as the four seed. Interestingly, the next worst team in terms of record against the top teams was another Coach Bud team, oh. last year's Bucks, huh. who went 3-9 and nine against the top three teams in each conference. There were also two other teams that only won three games against the top teams, but that's as low as it gets. So yes, a team can still succeed in the playoffs, even if they haven't played amazing against the best teams in the regular season. But on the other hand, three wins against top teams is still a lot more than zero. And mm-hmm. the Bulls currently have zero. And frankly, it's really hard to put a positive spin on that, even while acknowledging the injuries. But there is some good news. First, Alex Crusoe's back. Second, according to the Chicago Sun-Times, Patrick Williams, another defensive option, may yeah. soon return, assuming there are no setbacks. Even better, they have more opportunities remaining to improve that record. In the remaining 13 games, they play at Phoenix tonight. You already know whether they won. Maybe that's maybe they're 1-14 now. They play at Milwaukee next Tuesday. And then they have a three-game home stretch at the end of the season, Miami, Milwaukee, and Boston. If Boston passes Philly and moves into the three seed, they're only a game back right now, that's five more opportunities for the Bulls to improve that record before the end of the season. Can they get to three, Andrew? Uh, the bad news... <laughs> 
I mentioned there's good and bad news. The bad news is that Zach Levine's knee, which was surgically yeah. repaired in 2017, is bothering him again. And even Levine admits he's playing at 70 to 80% health. Yeah. Also, Lonzo is still out. He's seven weeks out from a six to eight week recovery, but a bone bruise on the knee where his meniscus was repaired is still bothering him. And there's no timetable for return. Now, if you're a Bulls fan, you obviously have to hope the team gets healthy over the next month. We also know that regular season matchups don't always predict how playoff matchups will go. And so any individual head-to-head record alone shouldn't necessarily scare you off of the Bulls in the first round. But we're talking about contender status, Andrew. Even acknowledging the injuries, do you think the Bulls' current record against top teams, 0-14 against top three seeds, 2-16 against top four seeds, disqualifies them from contender status. Are you out on the Bulls based on this record? Is it a slam dunk or is it junk? That's a slam dunk, baby. That's Man, a big I... time slam dunk. Not only that, but you 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 factor in like DeRozan in the playoffs. You factor in like the inexperience of a lot of these guys and the experience from from guys like Vooch where he's been like out in the first round many times. It's just it's just hard to come up with an argument that feels like they can beat any of these teams. Like they're going to be one of the teams in my opinion that's going to lose in round 1, that's going to go home disappointed. And that's going to happen with somebody in the East. The East is so strong that somebody's going to be disappointed and I think that one of those teams is Chicago. And, and the real bummer is, you know, a few weeks ago they were in the 2 spot, I think. Yeah. Whereas now they've dropped down to 5. So if they can't get back up, like they are going to be playing one of these juggernauts in the East, mm-hmm. which makes it even harder. I I feel similar to you. If there's a silver lining, you know, if, if they do flame out in round one, I do think the silver lining is that when those five guys have been on the court, it's been awesome. And yeah. we saw a model at the beginning of the season that could potentially work like building a defense around those two guards is really cool because it's just like not what you usually see around the league. So Mm -hmm. even if they did go out in the first round, I do think there is hope and optimism for next year, assuming all these guys can get right health-wise. But I would agree. It does feel like a slam dunk. I wish if I mean just wait if they were one in thirteen, maybe I could spin it a little better. Oh, and fourteen's just tough. Yeah, I don't think you can really spin that one. Oh, Hal. Uh, all right. Right after this next break, we're going to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, the segment where each week we spin a digital wheel, it lands on a random NBA team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. This week, the wheel landed on America's team, the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizz had a great week going 3-0 against a murderer's row of the Knicks, Thunder, and Pacers. Memphis is currently 48-22, second in the West, a game up on the Warriors who just lost Steph Curry. Andrew, if our favorite team is the Grizzlies, who is our guest? Oh, it's my guy, Keith Parrish, from Fast Break Breakfast and the Grits and Grind podcast. Keith, what's up? Hey, what's up, guys? How are y'all doing? Very lucky spin there to get America's team, the Grizzlies. (laughs) There's a lot of bad ways that wheel could go, and you end up with the best options. It felt real good. felt real good to land on the Grizzlies. Uh, With Steph Curry out, 
He's got an injury. He's probably out for a majority of the rest of the regular season. Uh, the path to the two seed seems much clearer for Memphis. With only 12 regular season games left, is there anything else that you're hoping to see from this team before the playoffs? Yeah, I think the integration of Dylan Brooks. I just think to see how the offense functions with Dylan playing. The first game that he came back, John Morant was there, and it was a very even shot balance among the main guys. I want to say like Bain, Jaron Jackson, John Morant, Dylan Brooks all took between 13 and 15 shots. Hmm. I don't know if that's the best way. I think there's an argument to be made that John Morant should take 20 shots. Everybody else take 12 shots. And so that's going to be something interesting to monitor. John Morant had this long streak of scoring at least 20 points in every game. In the first game, Dylan Brooks comes back. He doesn't score 20 points. And so it's like, you know, and, but I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. Are the Grizzlies a better team if the scoring is totally evenly balanced or if John Morant is more of that like alpha MVP level candidate, a 35 point per game score. So yes, we want to hang on to the two seed over the final 12 games, but also it's to see what does this team look like now that Dylan Brooks is healthy and ready to play again. It's, it seemed like the entire team was thrown off when Dylan Brooks came back because they also wore white uniforms <laughs> next to the Thunder white uniforms in the first game back. I, I was there with my children and we were all very confused by that moment. You got any inside info on what happened there? I, I don't have any any inside info. I saw on the television broadcast when it seemed apparent the Thunder and the Grizzlies, uh, I guess, the, the whoever's in charge of the wardrobes, they yeah, had a little equipment meeting. Manager. Was, yeah. yeah, the equipment managers were filmed on the Bally Sports broadcast, and you could see their faces as they're both checking their phones. I assume <laughs> they're going to NBA Locker Vision. And then the Grizzlies guys like lets out a yell and like kind of groans. <laughs> and you could easily read his lips, what he said. And it's like, oh my bad. And then like they had to go back and change into the navy blue. That was hilarious. I feel like there was a game, wasn't there a game where like it was like yellow against red? Yeah, against the Hawks. It was, then, it was last them, season. But they let them play for a whole half, and then they're like, this yep. is terrible. Orange and, and red. It was it was very bad. It was I, horrifying. <laughs> I remember watching, being like, "This is yeah." I thought, "Am I just old? Is this like an old an old guy?" Be like, "Listen, white and dark. Those are the colors. Home team white. We wear a dark color. We'll be fine." And you're like, "Yellow and red. You guys are out of your minds." <laughs> uh, we t- we talked on this show last week about Memphis's half court offense and whether that should really be a concern for the playoffs. What would you say are the most legitimate concerns about this team heading into the playoffs? I think that's accurate when people point to the half-court offense. It's no secret that in the half-court, if they can't get an offensive rebound, they're bad. Their secret is they're the best offensive rebounding team. They're a bad three-point shooting team. I think some of that, honestly, is they haven't lived up to their potential. I don't think they're as bad as they've been. Um, Jaron's having a very off year shooting the basketball. Dylan Brooks, when he was healthy, wasn't shooting the ball very well. Uh, Jaron... I mean, John Morant, it's like five games on, 15 games off. So you never know what you never know what you're going to get. So I do think there is a concern about that half court offense. I do think, however, offensive rebounding translates into the playoffs and that'll be a way that they can still find success. And I think the other parts of their game, you know, maybe they won't force as many turnovers when they're playing better teams in the playoffs and heavier minutes for the better guys. And so I think that is a concern, you know, the offensive scoring in the half court. But that's another place where you think, just having Dylan Brooks, who even if he's not efficient, he creates his own shot. He, he causes mm-hmm. things to happen just by barreling towards the bucket. And just having him, I think, will improve um, their ability to score in the half court. So if Memphis stays in the two seed, they would likely face either Minnesota or the Clippers. 
Memphis is 4-0 against Clippers, only 2-2 against Minnesota. And in those games, Minnesota has a 43-point blowout win, a recent five-point win in February, and an overtime loss back in November. They seem to have matched up well with Memphis. Do the Wolves concern you at all? Like, are the Clippers the clear preference of Grizzlies fans, or do they not really care? I, I think the Clippers are the preference because of the success that you've mentioned the Grizzlies have had against the Clippers this year. And the Timberwolves seem to be sort of a tough matchup. But honestly, like, uh, as long as it's not the Mavericks or the Nuggets, I'm not mm-hmm. going to complain. You know, if the Grizzlies can stay in the two seed and, and get the Timberwolves, I would be legitimately stunned if the Timberwolves pulled off that series upset. Not to say it's not possible, like a hot shooting stretch, but like, you know, D'Angelo Russell's had an incredible year. I, I don't trust him in the postseason. I'm not sure that the defense we've seen in the regular season, if the Grizzlies have a chance to scheme, will be able to slow down the Grizzlies. And so, no, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about either one of those guys. Okay. I'd be so pumped for all the trash talk, though. Like, I lot, want that series badly. <laughs> also, Dylan Brooks historically has obliterated the Timberwolves, and he hasn't been available uh, in these games. And so just having him as an additional – defender to throw at Anthony Edwards, to throw at D'Angelo Russell. I mean, one of the games that the Grizzlies won, it was close. And it was because basically D'Angelo Russell froze out Anthony Edwards. Like Anthony Edwards was unstoppable in that game. And the Grizzlies like, we don't have anybody who can guard that guy. And then like in the fourth quarter, they just stopped throwing it to him because D'Angelo Russell and Carlton Towns just kind of traded shots. And so maybe I'm underestimating the Timberwolves from their history of those guys. But currently I don't have like the maybe um, fear uh, of their postseason prowess. Mm-hmm. So John Morant has cemented himself as an NBA superstar this year. He's topped in in jersey sales. He's a highlight factory. ESPN All Access is coming to Memphis next week. Is it safe to say that John Morant is the biggest star in Memphis sports history? If not, who would be above him? I mean, Memphis sports history. Unfortunately, I'm not well versed in what. What are the non? Well, I was. I was trying to wonder. Grizzlies. Wouldn't you like be aware though if there was there, somebody listen, else? Guys, there's an argument to be made that John Morant is the most famous Memphian since Elvis. Like, you know, I don't think I don't know who else you put in that conversation. Yeah, like, yeah I mean, John Morant is—he was the most exciting, most famous Grizzlies player ever as of like two years ago. I, I think I mean, okay. maybe there's an argument about like if Pal Gasol, if you include him, that he goes to the Lakers and people know who Pal Gasol is. But like Pal Gasol and the Grizzlies, people don't know who he was. You talk about a global, worldwide community, worldwide community. Uh, people who like Mark Gasol and Pau Gasol, maybe like, no, I mean, Grizzlies history is not populated with super famous athletes and uh, John Morant by far the most famous. I mean, the only one I was wondering was like, it was Derek Rose's freshman year. Cause I know Memphis basketball is like a huge deal. Right. Yeah. It's a big deal. How big he was within that community during that time and how it compared. I mean, I wasn't, I'm not a college basketball fan. I don't live in Memphis. So, like, I don't know. I assume he was big, but there's no way he's bigger than John Morant is. Yeah. Right. John yeah. Morant's one of the biggest athletes in the world, it seems like, when the NBA releases their YouTube and their Instagram statistics. And it's like 41 million people saw this John Morant buzzer beater. And you're right. like, all right, that's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> he's becoming one of the biggest athletes in the world. And so, yeah, I think he outpaces whoever is like, in that, like, is it like Tim Howard, the soccer player? I think he's from Memphis. <laughs> like Isaac Bruce, the wide receiver. Like, no, this yeah. is it's John Morant. But again, I'm not a Memphis historian outside of the Grizzlies, so there might be someone I'm omitting. So, so famous, famous people born in Memphis: Justin Timberlake. Ooh, oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty, pretty good. good. Pretty Morgan good. Freeman. Wow. 
pretty good. Aretha Franklin. Okay. Oh man, they say heavy pretty hitters. Good. Rick Flair, born in not, Memphis. Not bad. Uh, then we get to Kathy Bates, and I think we're done. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you a question that uh, you definitely can answer because you mentioned Grizz history. As someone who's been a fan of the Grizz for a long time, can you compare and contrast what it was like watching the original Grit and Grind Grizz rise up in the league versus watching this new version of the Grizz do the same thing? Here's the thing. I have an affinity for basketball players who don't shoot the ball very well. Like I'm attracted <laughs> towards defensive stoppers like Tony Allen, probably my favorite yeah. NBA player of all time. I like the guys who struggle to shoot. I look at the Timberwolves, a team that I'm not that scared of, but I'm like Jared Vanderbilt. I got rules. James <laughs> McDaniels, I got rules. For some reason I'm drawn. Maybe it's because that's how my pickup basketball game was. That's how my church league career went. I was a hustle guy. I was a blocks and steals guy. And so, like, I really liked the grit and grind Grizzlies, and they were fantastic, and they were really, really good. They were one of the best teams in the NBA for, like, a handful of seasons there. But now that I have a team that might actually be good, it's funny to be like, I can't believe I convinced myself that was awesome. (laughs) This is awesome. Like, running people out of the gym every week is awesome. One of the stats that I uncovered on my Grits and Grinds podcast was – This year's Grizzlies team has 10 wins of at least 25 points. The seven years of grit and grind where they made the playoffs each of the seven years, they combined to have 10 wins by at least 25 points. So like in the seven years of grit and grind, it's been the same number of blowouts as we've had this season. Like they're cruising towards a two or at the very least a three seed. The Grizzlies have never been a two or three seed. So it's like, this team blows people out and it's so much fun. And so like, it's weird to compare the eras, but like, I like this, Hey, we're actually running people out of the gym as opposed to like, we're going to grind you into submission and beat you by six. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's funny. Like as me and Andrew as thunder fans, it's kind of the opposite. Cause it's like, no matter how good this current iteration of thunder get, it's super unlikely they'll ever be good as KD Russ. OKC. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're always going to be living in the past to some extent. Yeah. It's actually very depressing now that I brought it up. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You guys have all all those picks, though. Come on. The future's bright in MKC. Yeah. Come on, Al. Uh, I I was going to say it's funny, too. You mentioned that stat about the blowout wins. Like, they didn't hit the ground running either. There was like a point in the season where you thought, oh, man. This things might be over for them when John Morant went down. Right. I mean, it's it's weird. There were like there's different sections of this Grizzly season that you kind of forget about because they have been so good recently. Yeah, they started nine and ten. Their net rating was horrible because they got smashed like a lot of times. And we were really wondering, like, what's the deal with all the blowout losses? I think through the month of November, they were 30th in defensive rating. But then John Morant went out and they kind of galvanized around just maybe everybody else. I don't know if there was something to that. If John Morant said, hey, I can trust my teammates. I don't need to score or shoot as much. We're all writing our narratives, trying to figure out exactly what happened. But they were awesome when John Morant wasn't playing. And then when John Morant came back, he kind of seamlessly integrated himself after a a, a tiny little hiccup. I believe they lost to your thunder. Um, But then they were awesome when John Morant played. And since then, like since December 1st, they've been, you know, as good as anybody in the league you know, alongside of the Suns, basically. And they just, they, they keep having these blowout wins. And now, like, their defense for the year is up to seventh for the whole season, including being last after 20 games. Like, yeah. they're now up to seventh. And it, it is kind of remarkable. And I guess the last week when you guys were Grizzlies fans, um, by, by the wheel of fandom, 
you, you know, we're padding the stats a little bit, blowing out some teams that aren't trying that hard. But like the Knicks had even, they'd won three straight before the Grizzlies yeah, beat them. Yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, this, this, this team has been really good for a really long time. Well, we can't let you go without talking about D'Anthony Melton, who is once again having a roller coaster year. Last season, we talked about Melton as a potential breakout player on the team. Uh, how are you feeling about Melton a year later? Are you still all in? Yeah, I'm still all in. I mean, I'm the world's foremost Melton propagandist, I feel like. I'm, I'm a huge <laughs> Anthony Melton fan. It does remain a mystery that he, sometimes he plays 15 minutes a game. I always feel like he should definitely be playing 20 to 25 minutes a game. I mean, they're a deep squad. They have a lot of good options besides Melton. Um, I think my stock as far as like where I thought his peak could be, maybe that has lowered some this year under just this entire thought process of, all right, if the coaching staff has seen him in practice for three straight years and they're still not giving him more minutes, I got to assume those coaches are smarter than I am and they're seeing Mm -hmm. a lot more than I am. I'm just seeing what's on television in the games. So maybe like his ceiling isn't Drew Holiday anymore. I'm still like optimistic about him. He's the exact same age as Desmond Bain. And I feel like if he had been, if he was a rookie or a second year player and he keeps putting up all these really weird stats where you're like, no other player has had this many blocks, steals, threes, assists (laughs) in this many minutes, you know, like I'm always digging those up and his net rating and his on-off ratings have been incredible every year he's been on the Grizzlies. So I still am a true Melton believer, but you know, maybe it has tempered a little bit. Um, I don't want to see him leave the Grizzlies, but if he ever left the Grizzlies and it was a situation where he got 30 minutes a game, that would be something I'd be very intrigued just to see what happens. I want to see what happens if the guy gets to play, you know, starter minutes. Maybe he's just Justin Holiday peak. Yeah. Maybe not no, true. No, come on. <laughs> come on. I didn't say Aaron. I'm just Justin saying if he's, a, if, he's, if he's a holiday, he's probably Justin. Right. If we're putting him in the holiday bucket. I still, I still have a, a higher hopes. He's only 23. It's going to be amazing. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10 minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60 minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Well, Andrew, you just pissed Keith off right before right. we go to Andrew versus the Beat. Uh, I don't even need to introduce uh, Keith for Andrew versus the Beat because one, we already introduced him, but also Keith, this is your fourth time on Andrew versus right? the Beat, and I wow. went back to all the episodes to get an accurate tally. Keith is currently up 
two to one. So this is a pivotal okay. game four because Keith could go ahead three okay. to one, or Andrew, you could you could force a game five, which would be very important for you. Uh, so Keith, you know how this works. Uh, eight questions, all about the Grizz, sort of. Uh, you're gonna give me a number between one and eight. If you get it right, you'll get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew have a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, I just need a number between one and eight. Let's go with seven. Question number seven. The Memphis Grizzlies are this year's stocks team, leading the league in both blocks per game and steals per game. The last team to accomplish that feat was during the 2016-17 season. Name the team. Golden State Warriors. That is correct for two points. Ooh. Uh, that, was, that was one of my easier ones, you know, starting. How did that team do? Did that team win a title? It was like they, that team was good. Uh, they, they, okay. <laughs> All right. Andrew, you're already down two zip. Oh, no. Number one. Oh, I'm glad you picked that one. The Grizzlies mascot, Grizz, went through a dramatic transformation when he moved to Memphis. Grizz went from a large brown bear whose gut hung out of his too small jersey to a sleek, muscular blue bear that could perform athletic feats. Which of the following explanations was given by the team for why Grizz lost so much weight? So I'm going to give you four reasons. <laughs> oh my God. One, one of them is true. Three of them are false, okay? Okay. Here okay. we go. First one. Grizz got fit hiking through the Great Smoky Mountains. Two, Grizz drank a magic potion that gave him powers. Three, Grizz dyed himself blue to honor the Blues Hall of Fame. Or four, Grizz started eating Subway sandwiches as part of a sponsorship deal with Subway. Oh my gosh. I could see all of them being real. Um, boy. What was option number two? Uh, he drank a magic potion that gave him powers. <laughs> so you have Great Smoky Mountains, Magic Potion, Blues Hall of Fame, or Subway sponsorship. I guess I'll go with the Blues Hall of Fame, but I have no clue. That is incorrect. Keith, you have a chance to steal for one point. Do I get penalized if I miss it? I have no idea. <laughs> no, no, you don't. You don't. You just free guess. Free guess. You uh, I'll it. go with the Subway sponsorship. Uh, that is also incorrect. It was the vaguest one that he just drank a magic potion. It gave him powers. I have no That was such a weird one that. that I thought, like, I don't think Alex would make that up. But dang. All right, okay. Keith, it is back to you. The board is yours. Let's do number six. All right, question number six. In 2016, the Los Angeles Times polled NBA coaches, assistants, and players to ask the question, who is the dirtiest player in the NBA? Steven Adams came in second. Who came in first? So this is 2016. Who did people think was the dirtiest player in the league in 2016? Wow. I go with Nick Collison. Nick, why would you say that about Nick Collison? How dare you? How dare you? That is incorrect. Just, just said it for you guys. <laughs> All right, Andrew, you have a chance to steal if you can remember the dirtiest player in the league in 2016. I want to say, I, I, I'm going to say Patrick Beverly, but I feel like that's wrong. Uh, it is wrong. The hint was 2016, because who made the finals in 2016? The Cavs and the Warriors. And who was the guy on the Cavs that was just Draymond. always no, no. Oh, diving around? It? Matthew Della Vadova. Della Vadova. Oh, Dang Vidova. it. I yeah. knew it was a white guy. I just knew it was. <laughs> yeah. and I couldn't remember wow. who it was. That's All right. Tough. Andrew, your turn. <sighs> Boy, number two. Question number two. Uh, John Morant had Memphis's first 50-point game in franchise history. 
last month against San Antonio. Ja has eight games scoring 40 or more points, which is the most in franchise history. Which two players are tied for second for most 40-point games in franchise history with two games each? I'll give you one point per correct answer. So these are Memphis Grizzlies who had at least two games of 40 points or more. There's only two of them. Uh, Zach Randolph? That is incorrect. Dang. Keith, you have a chance to steal. Oh, is it my turn to steal already? Uh, yes. Memphis Grizzlies. Okay. Uh, Sharif Abdurrahim. Sharif Abdurrahim. That is also incorrect. Oh. The only two names who have done it, Pau Gasol, makes sense, mm-hmm. and Mike Miller. Uh, I knew there was going to be a weird one. <laughs> All right, uh, Keith, it is back to you. You're still maintaining your 2 0. Let's lead. do number, number eight. Question number eight. Okay, before you answer, I'm going to give you a little bit more instruction. So the question okay. is how many blocks does six foot Tyus Jones have this season? Now, the extra instructions, you get to pick who answers this question first. So either oh, no. you can answer first and then Andrew will go lower or higher, or Andrew can answer first and you go lower or higher. Obviously, if you let Andrew do it, he could get it exactly right, but he could guess wildly off, which would make it easier for you. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I guess I'm going to let Andrew go first. All right, Andrew, how many blocks does six-foot Tyus Jones have this season? Four. All right. And Keith, would you like to go higher or lower than four blocks? Yeah, I'll go lower. And that is correct. He has two blocks. Two oh. blocks. Two blocks. <laughs> All right, Andrew, you're now down four to zero. You really started. Got, you got to start putting points on the board, no. Andrew. Number three. Question number three. Desmond Bain is one of only five players this year hitting 40% of their threes while taking at least seven threes per game. How many of the other four players can you name? And as a hint, there's no minimum games requirement. However, all these guys have played like a decent number of games. I'm just letting you know that. So these are all guys who take at least seven threes per game and hit 40% or better. There's four other names. And I'm going to give you one point per correct name, which means you could tie it up if you somehow knew all four. I do not know all four. I can guarantee you that. Um, the minimum is what? Seven? Uh, there is no minimum. Oh, I mean like the number of, yeah. Attempts number of attempts. Yeah, attempts per game is seven per game. I think Kyrie Irving is one. That is correct. And that was why I was giving you the Ooh. hint about no minimum games requirement. Well played. Okay. Okay, um, Andrew, on the board. On the board. I think Patty Mills is also one. Andrew, that is also correct. Wow. You've got two of them. Um, Can you get three and four? One is legitimately hard. The other one you might get. I don't think he's shooting well enough, but Devin Booker. That is 40% anymore. Incorrect. Keith, would you like to uh, throw any guesses out there? Yeah, I don't have a great idea. What's what's Buddy Heald's percentage at these days? Uh, Lower, or he might not Uh. be taking seven a game. The other two are Anthony Simons. That was the one where you might get it. And then Lonzo Ball, who also falls into the no minimum games requirement. All right, uh, so we have two questions left. Keith, you have a, a safe lead, but Andrew has cut it in half. Yeah, not great. Let's do question number four. All right, Jaron Jackson Jr. is the first Memphis Grizzly to average two blocks per game, assuming he ends the season there, and already ranks seventh in franchise history for total blocks. 
We are going to try to name the other nine Grizzlies in the franchise's top 10 for blocks. Now, this is total blocks in their career. Okay. So how this works, okay. Keith, you'll give me a name. Then Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. Uh, okay. Um, Pau Gasol. Correct. He was number two. Mark Gasol. Correct. He was number one. Lorenzen Wright. <laughs> yes! Lorenzen Wright is number nine. Oh my gosh. What about Big Country? Big Country is on the list, Andrew, at number eight or six, because I left uh, Jerry Jackson out of this. Uh, okay, Keith, back to you. Let's do Stro Show. Stro Miles Swift. Stro Miles Swift, number three, all Ooh, time. Total gosh. blocks. Andrew, you're going to have to start, start thinking of some more Grizz. Reach deep in the what bag. What about T.A.? Andrew, Tony Allen, 10th all time. Wow. And you're That's sending incredible. it back Keith's way. <laughs> wow. So there are if, three names left. If Tony Allen is up there, but there I'm going to go. I'm, more, I'm nervous. I'm going to go Shane Battier. Shane Battier? Number four. Wow. Oh, Good job, Shane wow. Battier. Fourth. Shane Battier. <laughs> All right, Andrew, two names left. You can put a lot of pressure on Keith if you can get this one, because then there will only be one name left. <sighs> oh, Lord. Can you get it? Can you think of another Grizzly? Total blocks. What about Rudy Gay? Andrew, Rudy Gay is number five, which means you guys might sweep this category if Keith can get the last name, who is sixth in total blocks in Memphis Grizzlies history. Man, um, I'm going to go with Sharif Abdul-Rahim. Sharif Abdul-Rahim. Was he on the top <laughs> 10 lists all time in Memphis Grizzlies franchise history? Yeah. He was! Keith gets the points! And Ooh, you wow. guys named all nine. That is super this is, impressive. Hey, I, I want to say, Andrew, the last time we had one of these name all ten, we swept that one, too. I think we're pretty good at these. We're wow. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, one thing you're not crushing is this particular game, which you are now down <laughs> two to six. However, you can save some face Ouch. if you can get this last mm. question correct. Okay. According to Cleaning the Glass... When this Grizzly is on the court, Memphis's offense improves by 6.1 points per 100 possessions, the highest on the team. Who is wow. that Grizzly? Is it Desmond Bain? That is incorrect, Keith. If you want to just add a, a, an extra point on your total, you can, you can I guess would. This one. I would guess Steven Adams. That is correct. And Keith wins seven to two. Up three to one now on Andrew. Andrew, you're gonna have to make a calves like comeback here. <laughs> pain. Just all the pain. Alright. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Keith. Hey, go listen to Fast Break Breakfast. It's a great podcast. If you want some more Grizzlies, Grits and Grind is also a wonderful podcast that Keith hosts. Keith, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, thanks once again to Keith Parrish, but it is now time to choose a new favorite team for next week. We have 20 teams remaining, a lot of great options. Let's see what we get, Andrew. Spinning the wheel. Who will be this week's Ooh, Wheel of Fandom team? Be? It will be the Toronto Raptors. Ooh, baby, I like that. I like the Raptors Toronto pick. Raptors. Should... 
I like watching the Raptors. They're a fun team. Let's uh, uh, let's, let's, we go. Uh, let's see oh. let's see what oh, Raptors yeah, yeah, yeah. are playing, Andrew. Let the, Give me the schedule. See Al. if this is gonna be a, a good week or not. Let's see. Oh, tonight against the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers at home. Oh boy. But then two two great games. Sunday at Philly. Yeah. Could, that could, that could be a playoff preview potentially. Yep. And then at Chicago on Monday, back to back. And then Thursday they play Cleveland at home. So that's a nice little stretch of games right there. Yeah, that's a fun stretch. Yeah, I look forward to that. Uh, lots of great guests we could get for the Raptors, too. Uh, okay, we're going to read some Apple Podcast five-star reviews. This one is from Canada, from Honest Dad 416 it says, five stars, better than the rest. Thank you, gentlemen, for all your hard work. The Saturday Slam and Jam has become a Saturday morning tradition. It is a pod filled with stats, analysis, inside jokes that only fans would get. By the way, any discussion about the Raptors is always appreciated by your fans in Canada. Wow, what a week to read this review. Awesome job, and may the Thunder be two years away from being two years away from being <laughs> contenders. <laughs> Thank you so much for that review. Uh, and then our next review comes from Wizards Trash Talker. Five stars from the United States. Thank you for shouting out the Wizards' recent successes. Quote, that Kyle Kuzma's incredible production post about Kyle Kuzma's incredible production post All-Star break. It means a lot that you guys will actually talk about the Wiz at this point in the season. It's rare that a national podcast will. As much as I wish that we were a fake surprise that we weren't a fake surprise team, I'd rather be losing games now. But thank you. And thank you for the kind words about winning the Westbrook trade and Tommy Shepard we trust. Thank you so much for those reviews. If you want your review read on the podcast, leave us one on Apple Podcasts. Hit five stars or leave us some words and we will read them on the podcast. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend and the basketball. And we will talk to you guys again next week.